why would anyone need an app? Why would anyone want to pay twenty thousand dollars for an app, right? And and uh, and so it was a it was a hard sell because you know even though I had all these people contacting me, you know they thought an app cost hundred dollars or something, right? And that was Chad Jones, and you will hear more from him on this episode. Welcome to the other ninety nine percent. Hello, everyone. My name is Steve Whittington, and I'm your host. According to Economic Development Canada, 99.8% of all employer businesses are small to medium enterprises. Small to medium enterprises are defined as having less than 500 employees. This podcast is dedicated to exploring strategies, tips, and training for creating success as a small to medium enterprise. On this episode of The Other 99%, Chad Jones is the guest. Chad is CEO of Push Interactions, an award-winning mobile app developer. Chad shares his story of how Push Interactions started, his early struggles, and where his organization and industry is headed. Enjoy the conversation. After I uh, graduated from U of S, I decided I wanted to work at Apple, and after much tribulation, I uh, got a job there, and I, I worked there for a number of years. Um, and then after that, I uh, decided to come back to Saskatchewan to... Uh, basically continue uh, my growth as uh, in a lot of ways. And uh, so I started uh, the first Canada iPhone programming class. And then from there, um, we got a lot of uh, uh, media attention and, and also uh, people who contacted me, they were interested in, you know, building apps and that kind of thing. So uh, from there, we, you know, started a business and, and we've been going ever since. Can I ask what, what, well, maybe I don't have to ask, but why did you want to work at Apple? How did you get that dream? Um, well, I worked uh, as a, like during my undergraduate and I was working for a professor there and uh, he had all Macs and uh, I just liked how they work. And then I learned about a little bit more about the backstory of Apple and about Steve Jobs and stuff. And then I said, you know, I, I'd really like to, to work there. It sounds like a nice place. And, and so um, when I, when I graduated, I said, you know, I'm going to go work there. And of course you can't just give a resume to Apple, especially back then because U of S was not known. Um, it took a lot more effort, but eventually I got a job there and, and was working at headquarters and then, uh, and that was a great experience. I learned a lot. Um, but you can only go so far, um, you know, just working, uh, at a big business like that. And then, so that's when I, when I left and, and I came back here and eventually started my own business. But before that, you went back to the U of S and you started up a class. I, I, in fact, I sent uh, one of my teammates uh, to your class to learn about uh, mobile programming. And why did you why did you want to do that? Well, uh, it was definitely uh, a, a, an opportunity to do something new, and uh, I knew it was going to be uh, very important. A lot, a lot of the people at the university even uh, thought it was a fad that smartphones were only going to last, uh, you know, six months, and then nobody would ever talk about them again. Um, but, uh, I, I knew this was a big thing. And, uh, so that's why I wanted to start the class to, to teach myself and teach others about it. And then also to, uh, give me an opportunity to, to grow further in, in terms of, you know, starting a business and that. Do you have any key takeaways first from Apple and then from running the class? Oh, uh, uh, from Apple, I would say one of the, one of the key ones is that, uh, you have to be really careful who you pick, uh, that you work with there. There are definitely some, uh, you know, you might call them rock stars. They, they, they're just awesome players, right? 
um, but they don't work well as a team. And so then what you end up with is, is a rock star and then a whole bunch of other people that are very uncomfortable. And then your overall productivity is not very good. Um, you would do much better to, to not employ someone. They, they, you can employ rock stars, but um, you just have to be very careful that they have the right personality type and then their leaders and that kind of thing. Because um, if you don't have the right kind of people, you can have very bad teams, um, even though you have good, good, otherwise you would think good people on the teams. That, that was an important lesson I learned there. And then from teaching the class, now what's the time frame? When did you work at Apple and then how long were you there? And then when did you start the class? What 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 vintage are we talking about? I'm nearly five years. And then I came back and, and they didn't just say, oh, you create your own class. Like, it doesn't work like that. Um, so I, I taught uh, the first year class, um, 111. Um, and then after doing that for a bit, then I then I was able to create create the class. So it's not something that just anybody can create the university accredited class. You have to have certain experiences and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, it was really clear that that the iPhone was was going to be a big deal. And, and uh, you know, we, we recognized it and the department recognized it. Well, I should say the head of the department recognized it. Most of the people in the department didn't. Um, and then we went ahead and, and created the class because they knew there was going to be a great demand. And there was. It was uh, – I think every year we've had held it, we've had to tell people that you can't join because they're full. So, you know, that that's a good sign. For sure. Is the class still going on now? Yeah. Uh, the last one we had was in, just ended in April. Um, and uh, what we're looking at doing now is we probably won't have it in, in this upcoming year. It'll probably uh, be the year after. Um, but then it's going to be a permanent class. It's not going to be like a, Every time we had the class, we have to go through this process to put it on the books as a temporary class, and that's kind of a big lot of work. Um, but if we just put it on as a, as a permanent class, then then you know it's a lot easier. So that's what we're going to do. So you're still teaching the class? Yeah, I I team teach it with uh, some of my employees from the company. Um, I don't I don't take on, um, you know, they they probably do about forty percent of the work, and I probably do about. You know, sixty percent, and then next year we're even going to reduce that even further. I'm going to have uh, last year we I team taught with two other people. I'm going to do it with three other people next time. And uh, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm I'm going to assume that the people you're team teaching were people that were your original students. Mm-hmm. Uh, not no. Uh, so uh, the the people I worked with, uh, the one of them, for example, he was a tutorial leader on the very first. Um, class that we had so he taught the tutorial back then and now he's an instructor so that would be the closest um and then the other uh people that i trained one of them the person that's coming the next year he was in the original class sure so in that class the u of s started to get requests or or to you through that class about wanting people wanting to create apps and so was that the spark the reason like for you to create a company or was there another reason why you wanted to start your own company? Well, I was going to create a company anyway, but I mean, it, it was really clear that, um, you know, once I got, I think it was 60 different requests and, you know, some of them were just, you know, you just discard them because this is just kind of crazy. But, um, you know, once you get 60 requests and some of them were very legitimate requests that, that turned into, you know, actual customers, um, you know, then you know that we have an opportunity here and we can get started. And, and so, um, like the class that year went from September to December and, and I founded the company, um, right at the beginning of December, um, just as the classes were kind of, uh, you know, cooling down a little bit. 
um, because I knew that we were going to be, you know, moving right into um, development of the company and that kind of thing. So uh, it was around, I think, February of uh, the following year that I hired the first employee and, and then we took her from there. So you had an entrepreneur's dream where you had revenue or clients at least lined up before you started the company. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's a entrepreneur's dream, but that's uh, that's one of the things you want to try to do. <laughs> For sure. So that was a, there was a need, a clear need. You met that need. But prior to that, though, you, you always wanted to start a company. So you always wanted to be an entrepreneur and you learn from Apple. Uh, you know, you don't need just rock stars. What you need is good teams. And I'm, I'm going to uh, from exposure I've had to your your organization. I, I see that's carried through. But before I ask you more about how you lead and how you create a, a, a very um, wholesome or, or productive uh, team environment, uh, what were the what were the challenges you faced starting up uh, your own organization? Um, well, I mean, even though we had uh, paying customers, I didn't really know how to how to do a business at all. I, I hadn't really uh, just didn't know. And and so one of the things I did that was uh, in retrospect extremely foolish. Um, was I would let the customer pay 100% at the end. So we would do all of the work for, for maybe for four months. And then after the end of the four months, um, then we'd ask for payment. But of course, at that point, you're like, you know, I you need the money, right? And and uh, and then the customer would be like, oh, I just want you to do this extra week of work, and then I'll pay you. And then, of course, the week next week, it's like, oh, no, I just want you to do these other things, and then I'll pay you. And it would drag on forever, right? So Because they, they just had all the power. So one of the early things that I learned is that, you know, you got to break it, break the payments up to pieces and that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, doing things like work change orders, like when they do want a big new feature, you got to say, okay, well, this is new work and, and, you know, this is going to be a new charge and that kind of thing. So, so essentially you had to employ uh, project management principles and, uh, you know, get progress payments for work that was completed to, to fund, uh, ongoing revenue stream to fund the the organization. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's yeah, a big exactly. challenge. You know, it seems it seems I guess so obvious probably in hindsight, but that that's a big hurdle. And I've seen that with other organizations that uh, do a lot of project work. Uh, they uh, they they wait till the end to build, and it's a it's a massive learning curve to get over that, and a mistake that some people don't actually recover from because you've got so much of your own cash that you put out to to fund this project and then if you don't get paid if they don't have the ability to pay at the end that's uh did you ever run into that where you had uh, some customers that went sideways on you and weren't able to pay yeah yeah that's that's definitely happened <laughs> there you go so you learned the hard way so that was one big lesson what would be another uh big lesson that you learned off the start um, well, I mean, you got to have uh, good project management and you got to keep track of all the details. Um, not that I didn't do it, but, um, you know, there was only so many hours in the day. And so obviously you have to hire other people that are good at it. Um, design is also important. Um, so you got to make sure that you have a good designer. That's not something I'm really good at, unfortunately. So I uh, got to bring in people for that. And, uh, and just making sure that your team is happy, I guess, is another one. You know, I knew that ahead of time, but it's it's the implementation, the execution that's hard. Uh, you know, you could have sat down with me and, and told me all those things that, in theory, is this important? And I would say, oh, yeah, that's very important. Um, but then you actually have to execute on all of those things at once. Sure. So we're back to team. You have 22 people working uh, right now? Okay. 
And I imagine they're split into a variety of teams, I would think. They move around, um, you know, it depends on the project. You might have a, a bigger team on a bigger project. And then, um, you know, you might have one person on a, on a small project. So it all, it all depends on the project and, and who they need to collaborate with and that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So with all that being said, we've used that word team a bunch of times. I've never heard you say, you know, obviously talent is important. We're all we're all wanting to find talent for organizations. But uh, a very effective team has has been a theme in this conversation so far. How have you gone about uh, developing effective teams at your organization? It's it, over time. Um, I've learned that you know certain types of collaboration tools and techniques and and working getting people to work together is really important. Um, initially, I was uh, I didn't I didn't know a lot of things that I know now. Um, just like that billing thing I just told you about, it just seems so obvious in retrospect that at the time it, it didn't seem obvious at all. Like uh, one of the things I did at the start, and this is more for my um, own way of, of running the company because I, I didn't have a, a better way to do it, is I only put one person on each project, even if it was a big project, right? And so the projects would drag out. Um, and then you might have a, a case, for example, if somebody leaves. Well, if that's the only person on that project and they leave, now what you're going to do, right? Um, that that kind of problem. And, and there really wasn't a team, right? It was a bunch of people working in different silos. And uh, so there was no real collaboration. You know, we would have situations where somebody would solve a problem and then they wouldn't tell anybody about that. And then, the, you know, a month later, so the person sitting next to them would have to solve the same problem, but then they didn't know, they didn't learn, the organization didn't learn from the, the first time around. Sure. So now what do you do to facilitate that, that call that organizational learning? Well, we, we have, uh, like, the, the team communicates a lot better. Um, and we also have, uh, a, it's something that Apple did as well. Um, basically, at lunchtime, you um, you know, people would bring a box, box lunch, and then somebody would do a presentation on, on something they learned, um, that kind of thing. So that that's uh, very common in, in tech to do those types of things. Um, and, and like I said, we, I, I basically took that one away from Apple because they, they would do that. The several teams, like for example, the Java team at uh, Apple would do that and, and, and various other teams. So, Sure. Now, off the beginning, you said you had a lineup of people that needed, uh, you know, mobile apps. And that being said, you're, you were probably doing mobile apps for traditional industries. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, um, like uh, what we became known for was the class, and then we built an app for the University of Saskatchewan. So a lot of colleges and universities contacted us, um, and so I said, well, this is a great opportunity. And, and so the, fir the first name of the company was College Mobile because I was like, well, obviously all these uh, universities and colleges are contacting us. Um, but then when you actually go in and, and speak with them and everything, well, they, their budgets are very small, and their decision-making time is – maybe six months, maybe a year. Well, if you're a, a small startup uh, and their their decision time on your project is a year, uh, that's not very good for you. Because you, you come in and you do all these sales presentations and everything, and then a year later they make their decision. It's, and especially in a fast-moving move, industry like mobile, you know, things are different a year later, right? So Yeah. So uh... – you dealt with a very conservative crowd of uh, customers off the beginning, and then you started to branch out. 
So what was the biggest challenge that you found branching out and uh, teaching people traditional business about mobile and the need for it? Well, the, actually, the, you kind of answered the question a little bit in, in your question. I mean, people didn't understand the need for it at the start. Um, like even even because, you know, I, I got interviewed by the media and then their questions were, why would anyone want an app or what's an app, right? And so if why would anyone want an app, it, it, you know, so, so, you know, to create an app, it might cost 5000 it might cost 30000 it might cost more. Well, why would anyone need an app? Why would anyone want to pay twenty thousand dollars for an app, right? And and uh, and so it was a it was a hard sell because you know even though I had all these people contacting me, you know they thought an app cost hundred dollars or something, right? So um, there's a big difference between uh, the work involved and the cost involved and and you know what they what they anticipated and what their value was at that time. Especially since, you know, like I said, the, there's still people that thought that it was kind of a fad and, you know, a year or two later that you wouldn't even have smartphones and it would just be, you know, like Google Glass except worse. So you're dealing with a group of customers that don't understand the technology, don't understand the value, and then do not understand the cost and timeframes for development. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. That's a big uphill. That's a big education piece. Sure. So a lot of uh, persistence and tenacity is, even though you had this list of folks off the start that wanted you to develop apps for them, it, it probably melted away once, I guess, reality was showcased to them? Yeah. That- yeah, I mean, how many of those original 60 became customers? Maybe maybe two, maybe three, you know? Um, most of them, you know, they, they, they did just didn't know what was involved, right? Like either, um, they thought that we would create it for free or, uh, like I said, they, that it would be, you know, a hundred bucks, um, that kind of thing. Um, but that's just not how it is. Mm-hmm. I have spoke with a variety of folks that are in the, uh, tech industry in Western Canada. And one of the common themes that has sort of floated, uh, across the conversations has been educating the customers about what tech can do uh, and what and what it can do for their organizations. So, I mean, you you probably had even more of a challenge than folks that in that are in like traditional tech uh, website development, uh, you know, stuff like that. So do you feel that's still one of the biggest challenges uh, in your industry is, is educating the customers? To some extent, I mean, they're they're definitely in the past. Um, for example, you would get someone to come and and build an app, but it was always like never a planned thing. It was it's not like you know uh, we dedicate this much budget every year to website development, right? And that's kind of like a line item in their budget, right? Well, the app never was. It was always this one-time thing, and it was always a big uh, hard sell to. to to get somebody to, to get an app, right? Now that's that's really starting to change because uh, I think everybody realizes now, um, you know, if they if they haven't already, they will soon. Um, but you know, uh, in terms of eyeballs, in terms of people using things, um, people spend more time using their mobile phone than they do on any other media: television, uh, surfing the internet on a desktop, even at work. Um, you know, any other thing, apps are number one, including, you know, for compared to, uh, you know, surfing the web on a uh, mobile phone. It, it's the number one medium, period. Um, and, you know, I, you can say, oh, well, 
you know, almost half of that is probably Facebook. Well, maybe it is, but then that still doesn't really matter. It means that people, that's how the people are spending their time, you know? And even if it's time spent, like, you know, they're sitting on their iPads in front of the TV, it doesn't really matter. It's still more time spent with your iPad, you know? Um, and so if that's where everybody's eyeballs are, well, then, and if you want to reach them, well, that's, that's what you should do is you should be thinking about apps, you know? Yeah, for sure. And the challenge is uh, that what brands need to do is think about it strategically and provide an app uh, that provides value to their customers. Um, do you still find that a lot of brands just basically almost throw their catalog up in an app or are they coming about it in a more strategic manner now? Uh, I think they've learned a little bit. Um, like you've seen a lot more of, uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, you walk into a place and then they have what's called eye beacon. So we know that you just entered the building and then you might get a message that says, Hey, uh, you know, you, we know you're interested in, in uh, a wood chipper and here's one on sale or here's a coupon or, or you, you can even just be like, uh, you know, th- thank you for coming when they leave that kind of thing. So that's an example of, of something that's real simple to do. And, and how does it work? Well, there, you buy this little thing called an eye beacon. It costs about 20 bucks. Um, and then you put it up near your, your door and then the phone detects that and then, and then plays you the little message, right? Um, so that's the kind of thing that, that's quite easy to do. Um, but, and he couldn't have done it a couple of years ago. Um, but people start, are starting to appreciate that kinds of things. Um, it's, it's just the way things are, are, are changing now. And, and uh, it, it allows a more personal interaction between the person and the, the company. And that's not really possible um, in, in a, any other medium. I mean, once you enter the building, we know you've entered the building. We, we know what um, you know, types of things you buy. Therefore, you know, let's do something. Right. That's a very personal experience that, you know, yeah, you maybe you could uh, track how they use your website and stuff, but that's a lot different than, uh, uh, you know, what I just described. And, you know, now the integration of things like Apple Pay, you know, we, you know, as a retailer, for example, you might be able to say, OK, well, I even know what they bought. You know, I know when they made the purchase. I know what coupons they use. I have a, a kind of a description of this user. Right. And not just in the retail, I use that as my example, but you can do that in any any industry, right, for customers. Um, and then the other side of the coin is the automation for your business, uh, people in your business. Um, like there's a, a couple companies actually, but there's really one that sticks out of my mind um, that they, they are a trucking company that haul a dangerous goods. Like, and there's a lot of regulations about um, hauling dangerous goods. Like we're we're talking like if their truck fell over and the thing leaked out, like pro- probably people are going to die, like like almost for sure, right? Um, and so they have all these regulations and all this paperwork to fill out. And uh, and so basically we took all of that and made it electronic. And then um, they had uh, three full time people that all they did was just sort out these these paper tickets. And then they would have to sort out these tickets, and then they have to do all this stuff, and then they would be able to bill like a month later almost, right? And so now that it's on the app, there is no tickets to sort, and then they can invoice the person the same day that the delivery is made. Like it's such a such a big change for them that they, that it's just like just crazy um, in terms of the the benefit for them. So they're integrating business processes with technology, and an app is one method for doing that, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And and that comes down to like, you know, people thinking about apps, it's the same kind of idea like five years ago when someone would say, well, your fridge needs to be connected to the Internet. You'd be like, well, why? 
now I'm kind of having the conversation with my wife thinking, well, maybe, you know, we need to do that because we can make lists and it'll email us or send us a text message when we're driving home. And, you know, it's not a foreign idea. And I think there's been more acceptance of that. Like the the rate of acceptance uh, is I've read something how it's it's, you know, it's cut being cut in half all the time. So, you know, you. Yeah, yeah, it's very fast acceptance of new technologies. That's really the next uh, boom that's going to come is uh, home automation, that every single piece of your home will be automated. You go, oh, why do I care about that? Okay, how about this? You get in your car and you start driving home, and uh, your your house detects that you're coming home from work because of, of the direction you're driving and uh, um, basically that you're coming home, right? Um, it's the right time of day. And so it says, okay, well, we're going to increase the temperature in the house, and we're going to, because um, we know you're going to pick up the kids on the way home, and they're going to want to watch Channel 4, uh, then, okay, we're going to take the TV, and when you enter the building, we're going to turn it to Channel 4, um, and then we're also going to, uh, you know, maybe do some other things for you, all automated. So as soon as you get home, it's like all this stuff is already running for you. The lights are already on, uh, the temperature in the house, which was cool for most of the day to save power um, and cost, is now back to normal, um, and and everything else in your life is all sorted out. So that, that kind of thing uh, will just be normal. Exactly. No, I, I hear you. It's a, it's a crazy world we're living in. And so that leads me to a question that technology is evolving so fast. How do you stay on top of these trends? Well, like, what do you do to stay current? You, you have to constantly educate yourself and constantly um, know what's, what's coming out and, and what's, what the trends are. It's, it's a constant thing. I mean, we were really looking hard into Google Glass when it first came out because we really thought that might turn into something. Uh, we didn't know, though. And then, of course, the, all the, the bad press it got about the, oh, I'm worried that, you know, you, you're wearing it and you're recording me, but even if you are not and, and that kind of thing, um, that eventually went away. But, I mean, it could have turned into something real. And, and certainly in businesses like, let's say, you're working at Amazon and you need to locate a package. I mean, Google Glass is a perfect thing for, for a problem like that, right? Um, so I don't think it's totally going away, but that's just one example of a technology that keep your eye on. Um, for example, Oculus Rift, and, and you can do all kinds of, uh, mention all kinds of things that are technologies that have a great potential, but you're not sure um, in terms of what's going to happen. So um, going back to the smart thing, for example, I mean, people will be buying fridges and that, and they're going to be like, well, you know, um, this one's not smart. It doesn't, uh, you know, make, make the the water cool when I get home and, and warm the rest of the day. So it's going to cost me more money to have run this, this fridge. So why would I want to buy the, the more costly fridge, right? Um, that kind of thing. Or, or, you know, maybe a coffee maker that makes your coffee in the morning. You come downstairs and it's already there, you know, that kind of thing. People will pay for convenience for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it, a matter. You know, of your sense. house will detect you woke up, and and now it's time to make the coffee. And so, mm-hmm. there it is. There's your warm coffee. You're wearing uh, some sort of smartwatch, which then knows from your resting yeah. heart rate that you're no longer resting. You're moving around, and the rest of the house starts to to uh, basically wake up as you wake up. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing the future that is coming, and it's coming fast. So that being said, you've changed your name. Now you mentioned that you were college mobile to begin with, and you were focused on making apps for education facilities and now you have a new name and your organization has grown uh, quite a lot and i hear you talking about google glass and uh, oculus rift and and a bunch of other type of technologies so 
where are you going and, uh, you know, unpack this journey that uh, this new organization with a new name is on? Well, so first of all, uh, the name we changed it so that we could uh, grow a little bit more. We definitely had some customers um, that we lost in, in places like the financial industry um, because of our name. I mean, we, we were uh, very seriously considered um, as a as a uh, basically a, a vendor for a, a subsidiary of J.P. Morgan, for example. Um, that would have been a great contract to get. Um, but one of the reasons we didn't get it was basically sort of like, well, college mobile, that's not a very professional name for, you know, someone that's going to be working on my banking software. I'm not really comfortable with that, you know, aside from everything else, it's kind of an emotional decision, you know? Um, and so you have to realize that um, your name does matter and uh, you don't want to portray yourself as unprofessional. So um, we had to pick something that was more professional and, and rebrand. And I, and I think that did, that did help. Um, Cause we definitely have a, that that's not a, a takeaway from our business now. So, sure. And uh, push interactions. That's that's the that's the new branding of your organization. Correct. Yeah. Now, uh, and that you know you can. That's. I guess it's not as obviously it's not as narrow and confining as your previous name, but everything you're talking about it. it you know all these different devices will push uh, information. So it's a, it's a really good fit. The tech industry, we talked about teams, but there is a war for talent in the tech industry. And you're, you know, you're, you're competing on a global scale. So how do you combat the war for talent, uh, living in Saskatoon and operating out of Saskatoon? Well, one of the reasons I came back to Saskatoon after leaving Silicon Valley, so I knew there was a, a lot of talent here because of the University of Saskatchewan. So I knew that there was talent here. And of course, I, I know how to spot it too, which is really important. A lot of uh, our competitors, if you will, in Saskatoon and other, where, other, other places, I mean, they hire people I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Maybe they're, they have a really bad attitude or they're not very technically skilled or both. And then I see these types of people being hired, and I was like, wow, I would never hire that person, you know? Um, but a lot of times the, the tech companies that we're competing with, they don't, they don't have that kind of insight. Um, and, and also we, we do, do the interviews, I think, more, a little bit more rigorously than other companies as well. Um, like when I interviewed at Apple, um, they, they have an eight-hour interview process. Uh, it's basically the entire day. Um, and you have one person after another that interviews you the entire day. And then they also take you out for lunch and everything. And of course, you know, you're all relaxed at lunch, but that's actually part of the interview too, right? You don't realize it at the time, but that's actually an important part of the interview and so on and so forth. So it's it's quite a detailed interview to really get an understanding of you as well as your tech skills. And, and they'll ask you all kinds of uh, tricky questions and everything. So, you know, our interviews aren't eight hours, but uh, they're they're very involved. So you have an eye for talent from your years in the industry. Also, you're borrowing some tactics from Apple and you have a rigorous interview process that allows you to pick uh, the best fit of uh, talent for your team. Does that, does that sum it up? Yeah. Cool. So how do you keep folks? And you uh, you mentioned uh, prior to us talking that, uh, you know, there's really, you know, your team is feeling good. There's a uh, the spirit to, or the, uh, the morale is high. And how do you, how do you make that happen? Well, it's, it's true. And I, I think you'll, you'll read this in a lot of places that, you know, a players want to play with a players. Right. Um, and w when I talked about rock stars before, you can have an A plus player, but then they don't work well with other people. Um, 
And not to say that our people are an A plus, I definitely think some of them are. Um, but I mean, you want to have somebody that works with other people and then great, uh, programmers, great, uh, you know, people want to work with other great people. It, it's very disheartening when you have to work with someone that, uh, you have to kind of have to carry them or, or something like that. Um, so that's one of the ways is that we have good people and then, you know, they bounce ideas off each other and they all learn from each other. And it's, it's, a you know, it's a really good environment, right? So that's, that's one thing. So you intellectually grow as a person when you're working there because there's going to be other people that that know more than you about a certain thing and you'll always have things to learn from the other people around you um so it's a very enriching experience because you always feel that you're improving and learning new things um so that's that's a good thing and then also um i think it's important as well we we do pay uh, above average as well um so we do we hire good people we expect good work and then we we do pay more um, than what our competitors do. And that's part of the reason that, of course, we can, you know, not only pick out the good people, but then hire the good people as well. Sure, absolutely. And it sounds like with a team environment and what you were saying, everybody everybody that goes there learns from everyone else. Uh, to me, that, that uh, tells me that everyone has a voice to contribute and they feel like they're contributing, which is really important for having high team morale. Okay. Well, that's good stuff. So lots about what's going on in the industry and the challenges. What about you? Let's talk about Chad. Do you have any daily rituals that help you? I mean, you're a busy guy. I mean, you're, you're still teaching a class. You have a, a essentially, it's not, it's not a startup anymore, but a, a young organization. What uh, what do you do to keep focused? You just have to constantly uh, just keep keep going, you know, just keep, keep uh, the persistence going uh, even year after year um to, to continue to, to grow and improve so we, we've done man, many many changes many many improvements over the years um we're always improving and uh it's it's uh you know it's it's towards our end goal of becoming a re- really great organization to really uh provide our customers the best experience possible and 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 look all that learning that we do improves us every day so it's it's to be a really a world-class organization and and now like uh like the last uh there's a Samsung developer conference in uh, San, San Francisco. Um, it's kind of like Apple's big conference or Google's big conference. And, and at that conference, there's the presentations and everything. And so one of the apps we built was presented at the Samsung developer conference and actually um, received, you know, quite good reviews. So, so at that point, you know, I, I think that you can say, okay, well now we're crossing the line into, you know, this is world-class work, you know, and uh, you know, I've, I've definitely got that, feedback from some of our customers that uh you know this is world-class work that we're doing um and that's really where we wanted to go when we started we were nowhere near there at the start um but we've we've grown over time and 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 so everybody that works with us and uh we've gotten better and so now that now i would say that you know we're we're going towards where we want to be which is world-class so you you get your drive from your vision and your vision was to be best in class slash world-class yeah, and then all the things that come out of that. I mean, all the opportunities to do great work and and uh, you know the reputation and all that stuff. It all it all ties together and and really makes it uh, um, something that everybody is, uh, that's in the organization to be proud of. So, what keeps you up at night, either from excitement or worry? Um, I, I guess the only thing I could even really mention, and and I think this is a, a Saskatchewan problem um, more so than than uh you know even a canadian problem 
is sort of like, you know, in, in uh, Saskatchewan, there is absolutely no uh, money for investment in, in tech businesses, at least tech businesses like mine. It's just like you would never uh, receive any kind of investment at all. And that's fine. I, I haven't really looked uh, for any investment, but, you know, um, there's times over time, you know, you have up, up, up times of the year and down times of the year, or you might have a, a better year than others and that kind of thing. And so, you know, you might have, uh, you know, there might be times that you might want to borrow some money and that kind of thing. It's just never going to happen. You're never, you're going to have to self-finance everything, you know, um, which is kind of unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Um, like, you know, if we were built, if we were based down in Silicon Valley, um, this is one of the things I had to learn. You're based down in Silicon Valley. You have our business and you want to raise some money. Oh yeah, no problem. Probably get it over the weekend, you know? (laughs) Um, but uh, it, up in Saskatchewan, like you, you would, you will never, you will never get it. So that's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, cause you can say, okay, well, um, you know, the, the economy's kind of going this way and, you know, maybe there'll be uh, uh, some hard times ahead. Okay. What does that mean for my business? And then of course I'd know in the back of my mind that, you know, if we do have this, uh, let's say we have another 2008 that comes, right. Um, what are you going to do? Because, you know, you're not going to be able to borrow money. That's just never going to happen. Right. So I feel that the financial institutions in Saskatchewan do not understand tech, therefore they will not uh, float financing. Yeah. Yeah. You're not a, you're not a agricultural business. You're not a mine. Um, I don't understand your business. Therefore go away. <laughs> okay. So. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> and that's even uh, if you have a great balance sheet and everything, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> sure. Well, that's uh, that's something that would keep you up at night and, and doesn't actually, uh, it's not a good thing for the industry, which is, uh, growing in Saskatchewan, the tech industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we've been looking, uh, well, we have been expanding in, in other places, starting to open up offices. Um, so that might change for us just by the fact that we are, wouldn't be as, as uh, just based in one place. So that might make things a little better. Uh, we'll see, but uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a problem in Saskatchewan that, uh, uh, that I, cause I don't even think that problem would, would be true in say Alberta or, or certainly not in Ontario or something like that, you know? Sure. So that leads to my next question as to what's next. Sounds like you're looking at expanding to another location, multinational yeah. or just uh, a different province. Yeah. Well, it's, um, the, the place we're really looking to expand right now, um, is, uh, down to California. Um, we're working with some companies in California, and if we can get enough um, business uh, started up down there, um, we would basically start up a, you know, we'd have to have a place for, for the employees to, to work and everything, and we would send them down there in person and everything. So that's that's kind of what we'd be looking at doing, assuming we can grow that business down there enough, which is, which is kind of what I want to do for the start, because um, what you have is a really uh, good base of talent in Saskatchewan, world class, if if they're trained in the right way and everything, um, and then and then you can take that talent and go anywhere, right? So um, at this point, you know, a few years ago, if you'd asked me three years ago, should we go and and try to open up a, a business down there, I would have said no because we're just going to embarrass ourselves, and and that's not going to be a very good experience for anybody. Um, but now we're we're in a place where we can. Um, do something like that and, and start to, you know, because there's a lot of uh, opportunities down there as well. Uh, to, there's a lot of companies that are building products and that kind of thing. Um, it's really where a lot of the, the innovation comes from. And it's, and it's also an opportunity for our employees to learn as well, um, which I think is, uh, is great for them. It'll be a good learning experience. 
Well, it's a it's just a smidge of a bigger economy in California than Saskatchewan. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Especially in tech. Yeah, just a little bigger. This has been a fascinating conversation, Chad. Thank you for your time. Where can people reach out and get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, it's through our website, pushinteractions.com, and we do have a, a contact page on there. Um, if you want to go on there and, and send us a contact, we, I will I will read it uh, and we'll respond. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of another episode of The Other 99%. I'm your host, Steve Whittington, and I hope you enjoyed the show.